Next, this month's special series focus on geriatric medicine and aging. ReachMD talks to experts about new thinking and innovations in the treatment of conditions of the aging body and mind. Our guest today embodies the Tibetan wisdom, make haste slowly. How can we navigate caring for our elders with compassion and understanding? I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt from Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host. And with me today is author Dr. Dennis McCullough. Dr. McCullough has been an in-the-trenches family doc and geriatrician for 30 years. He also serves as a faculty member in the Department of Community and Family Medicine at Dartmouth Medical School. His latest book is called My Mother, Your Mother, Embracing Slow Medicine, the Compassionate Approach to Caring for Your Loved Ones. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. McCullough. Well, thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tell us why you wrote this book. I wrote the book because I felt that the voices of older people who I had come to know and care for over many decades in practice really never got fully heard. Their stories weren't told by them as they ran out of energy and eventually came to the ends of their lives. And families tend to keep the stories within the family and don't tell them more extensively. So I wanted to talk about the voyage of aging, the voyage of late life. And your book, you talk about slow medicine. What is that? Well, slow medicine uh, emerged as I wrote about this voyage or journey of late life. And it had to do with the fact that slow is kind of the key word for older people. Things slow down in so many ways, as we know. Mobility slows down. Thinking slows down some, but actually the quality of thinking if you give older folks enough time, is being shown to be very, very good. People are consistent with their past decisions and values if they're given enough time to reflect and adapt to difficulties that come along the way. So that was the start of it. And and then I realized that there were lots of parallels between fast food and slow food Ah. and fast medicine, meaning standardized, high-technology-oriented acute care, and slow medicine, which really has to do with understanding the individual and figuring out how all of these wonderful things that we can do for people can be applied very carefully, knowing the risks and the benefits and how we can better make decisions. So the idea of slow medicine is it's like slow food. It's kind of back in your own home. It's with your own family. That's not to say all the care is at home, but certainly the decision-making allows people to bring back and reflect in their own circumstances on the kinds of things they're being advised to do. So there are many parallels between fast food, slow food, and fast medicine, slow medicine. But aren't we a fast food culture and a fast medicine culture? Well, we are. And I think that's a part of what we're having to face. And uh, we're facing it not just in medicine, we're facing it in a whole range of areas. And I think that particularly for older people, this is going to prove to be a better way of helping each of us to recognize that's a different stage of life. As doctors, we have to acknowledge the differences and approach older people differently. I think the pendulum has swung too far in one direction, and we've got to come back to the healing part, the caring part of medicine, Mm -hmm. because that's a lot of what old age and being an elder is about. 
Now, the way you organize your book, it's around what you call the eight stations of late life. And I found this a very interesting and logical way to think about this. Let's go through them one by one and talk about what we as physicians should be thinking and maybe doing in each stage. What's the first one? The first one is stability, where uh, everything's just going fine and the coin may not even have dropped for families or for physicians that this person who we've known over a period of time or is looking quite healthy in front of us nevertheless has entered the age of vulnerability, let's say over age 80. And as physicians, it's all too easy, I think, to continue on, if you will, care as usual without recognizing that maybe there are some other things we should be doing. And the things that I picked out to mention to you today, Leslie, were to, first of all, help elders to recognize that over time, families become more important to them as they face you know, complex illnesses and aging, and to just kind of normalize that, to move a little bit away from a, a medical model that has a one-on-one doctor and patient in the room to help uh, older people to say, you know, maybe you should share some of this with your family so that they understand to normalize it for them. Mm. Another thing would be to find out from older people not only about their families, but who else is important to them and with whom else do they share some of the understanding of of problems that they have. And a third thing, of course, would be the ever-present admonition we have to begin to introduce the idea of advanced directives. But I would say don't start with advanced directives. Start with setting a larger context in the stage of stability. And establishing the trust so that it's not so scary when the more difficult topics come up, I presume. Trust is key to this, Leslie. You are absolutely right. If, in fact, if there's one element in this whole concept that one has to hold on to, it's these, how do you foster trust? And I think trust takes time. It takes careful listening. It takes a track record of being successful and effective and present for our patients. Now, Dennis, what about the second station? Well, the second station I term compromise, which is where an elder faces some decline in either function or the presence of a new disease, where one needs some outside help or involvement. It may be that uh, the involvement is uh, more regular visits to a doctor. It may be that the involvement is a little bit of help with driving or shopping because driving is too difficult to do. And for physicians at this stage, the kind of things that I, I think we should work on are, first of all, talking about this whole issue of HIPAA and deciding in our own minds exactly how we're going to encourage elders to share more intimate information about their medical issues. And I think it's up to us to establish the connection to their families and this whole thing about trusting families more. I think when uh, older people have new problems, we have to be particularly careful about our language because we know that patients leave our offices and they retain relatively little of what we think we've said. So we have to use other modes of communication, one of which is certainly writing things down. But my favorite one is asking a family member or an important person in their life to come into visits with them to be a second pair of ears. And so those are some of the essential things. How are they going to monitor their medications to talk with them about sharing that process as opposed to having it all on their own shoulders? 
Don't you find, too, that sometimes what I see, certainly in my own life, my father-in-law was in a care center, and it seemed like they used HIPAA sort of as a shield to keep them from talking to us, even though we were clearly on all the consent forms. But, oh, that's HIPAA. We couldn't possibly do that. That Part of what we need to do is re-educate people what HIPAA really means, and it's not to prevent us from talking to the family members. It's actually to encourage that in a legal sort of way. Yes, you're right on with that. And I think we sometimes use HIPAA as an excuse for not giving people the time when we're rushed. Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, gosh, it's going to be difficult if you know more people come in here and we have this extended conversation. But in the long run, both for primary care physicians but also for specialists, I think to engage family almost invariably pays off. Occasionally we'll have dysfunctional families, as you well know. But I think, in general, the yield of having family involvement is very, very high. Absolutely. Now, now Station 3, the tide turns a bit. Tell us about that. Well, crisis is where oftentimes families, for the first time, get engaged. You get a call. Maybe you're nearby. Maybe you're far away. It's the emergency room. It's the hospital. It's a doctor's office saying that something has happened and your parent really is having difficulty and and needs help. And the first thing, of course, that I think physicians need to do in a way that doesn't induce guilt but just states plainly the value is encourage families to come when there are crises. Trying to handle things over the telephone, I think, gives a different message than actually showing up and being at a hospital or at an emergency room with a parent. And I think we need to encourage families to do that. We also need to work very hard around crises. This is a particular bugaboo of mine because I see in the teaching hospital that sometimes we jump too quickly to a solitary diagnosis for an older person when the story, which we didn't pay enough attention to all the details of, suggests that there may be more than one and maybe several preliminary kinds of early conditions going on that contribute. Let's say a drop-off in uh, cognition that then accounts for an older person not getting in touch with us enough, wanting to hide symptoms. So that's another element of paying attention to the story. Simple things encourage families to keep a bedside journal so they become more bonded Mm -hmm. with one another Mm -hmm. and, and share the story, putting little notes in when they visit. As doctors, I think we need to do more of a sit-and-touch medicine. We need to sit on a bedside, on a bed. We need to touch our patients. We need to get down to their level because it's that kind of intimacy that really helps with communication, and it also helps, I think, with conveying a sense of caring for people. We need to focus on function and capacities and not just diseases and, and medical crises. One of my favorite things to do in the hospital, for instance, I learned many years ago is after a patient's starting to get a little bit better, take them for a walk. Mm-hmm. Have them hold onto your arm, mm. stroll down the hall a little way, and you'll get really a sense of how they're doing. It's amazing. Can they talk while they're walking? What's their balance like? You know, How do they respond to you emotionally? Interesting stuff. Yeah, it's great stuff. So in your book, Slow Medicine, talking about the eight stages of late life, let's get to number four, and that'll be our final one for this segment today. Fourth stage, recovery. And what we all learn 
in practicing with older people is that recovery takes so much longer when you're older. The occasional person bounces back very quickly from an illness or surgery, but many people take many, many months. I often will tell a family and a patient that it may be six or 12 months before, if we're working really hard, we're, we've convinced ourselves that we've gotten recovery to be as full as it can be. And what we're fighting, of course, is a, a Medicare funding system that conveys to families and elders the message that you have, you know, 21 days or 60 days or some arbitrary amount, and we don't pay attention to people's capacity to restore themselves perhaps to a better level of health than they had before they were ill. Medications become very, very important to sort of wean people off as much as one can and rather rebuild the foundation of health through better habits, uh, better and more mobility, more exercise, things of that sort. So we have to put the emphasis back in recovery on rebuilding the foundation. Well, thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us today. You're very welcome, Leslie. Pleasure to be with you. We've been talking with Dr. Dennis McCullough, the author of My Mother, Your Mother, Embracing Slow Medicine, The Compassionate Approach to Caring for Your Aging Loved Ones. We've explored the first four stations of late life today. Stay tuned for a future segment to hear the last four stages. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, visit us at ReachMD.com. And download ReachMD's iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of medical news and information, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.